0: Traders get ready to discover the hidden power of market breadth as a reliable indicator to stay one step ahead of market moves. In today's podcast, we will uncover the secrets of gauging trend days versus choppy days. We're going to dive into the fascinating world of seasonality and how to determine healthy corrections versus major declines. All of this today and more with options trader at Options Hawk, Jason Ruchel. Today's podcast is sponsored by FTSE Russell and TradeStation. FTSE Russell is the home of the Russell 2000 index. Did you know that with an 81% share and $1.6 trillion in institutional assets benchmark, the Russell 2000 is the top choice by far among institutional investors. Like all Russell US indexes, it's rules based, transparent, and reliable. Regularly updated with the latest IPOs and annually rebalanced. For more information, go to footsierussell.com. Now, if you're a serious futures trader or options on futures trader and you want a powerful platform to match your skills, enjoy flexibility and trading power with TradeStation's award winning platform. Get 50% off brokerage fees for the lifetime of your account. Plus, 10% intraday margin rates on three popular futures markets when you open a new futures account at tradestation.com anthony that's tradestation.com slash anthony Jason, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to have you.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on today because I want to talk about market breadth, talk about how you trade options, and you have a reputation for closely tracking market breadth and have compared it to the fuel underneath the hood of the market. Uh, Can you explain what you mean by that and why traders should be taking a closer look at market internals?
1: sure so like when i talk about market breath a lot of people might think it's just kind of just for day trading or intraday you know trend to, to day trade but a lot of times for what i use is just to kind of see a swing trade basis on how strong the market is getting once it gets up to you know a certain resistance point after a several week or several month rally like we just had and like for example this this month of august came in pretty bearish uh, after a, a pretty good three-month rally And we started seeing like deterioration of new highs and and new lows fall and and really like less and less stocks above the 50 day moving average within the S and P 500. So that's just stuff that you could track on an end of day basis to kind of understand where like a medium term trend is maybe maturing or at least be a couple steps ahead of getting short, if that's what you're inclined to do, but really just kind of seeing where the fuel is. Cause if you're driving through the mountains and you're kind of low on oil or low on gas, you're kind of burning that fuel, you're not going to make it up to, you know, over the mountain pass before your car burns out or whatever. So it's the same thing in the markets. Like if there's 500 stocks in the S&P and, you know, the market is often being driven by these bigger cap, mega cap stocks that are heavy, heavily weighted. Eventually, if all the others don't join in and power that trend higher, which often does happen in a bull market with sector rotation, but, if it doesn't, then the market is prone to to see a correction. And that's kind of what we're starting to see now towards the you know latter half of summertime.
0: You talked about staying ahead of the market. Explain why market breadth is key for you staying ahead
1: of the move. So I think a lot of times everybody is trying to figure out like what are the big funds doing and what are the institutions doing positioning-wise, you know, on a more medium-term to longer term level. And a lot of times, different breadth metrics or market internals will literally show you that if you just track them on a day-to-day basis, and you don't have to be staring at them every hour of the day to see it. You could see simply based on like how strong was the volume ratio today, how high did the advanced decline ratio get today, and then you know there's several other things like new highs, new lows I like to track on a daily basis to see how many more new highs within an index like the S&P. Or the nyse are registering and if that number is contracting and new lows are starting to expand then that's that's trouble for the trend right because the market needs to be powered by its components the same thing like a car needs to be powered by the components underneath the hood so a lot of times all the stocks within an individual index are contributing to that power and really if you just come up with a way to, to track that on a unbiased subjective or objective way, then you're going to be kind of two steps ahead of the funds when they have to just hit the bid or panic buy within a trend.
0: Well, what I'd like to talk about next, Jason, is really just talking about some examples. What I want to see is some of the examples of what you're looking at with market breath and how you take that and put that into play for day trading and, and
1: swing trading. So maybe we go to the charts now. OK, so First, starting off from a a day trade perspective, even though I use a lot of this for swing trades and more like longer term analysis, um, I I wrote a post on Options Hawk recently back in March, talking about how to identify divergences within like a a five or 15 minute chart during the day and kind of seeing where. First of all, I I like to track the volume ratios. Usually most platforms have them under like symbol dollar sign VOLD. And then the ADD line is the advanced decline ratio. So you see here on the screen, a 15 minute chart of the advanced decline line. And first off, this is the the zero line here. And what this means is when it's at plus a thousand, that means there's a thousand more stocks advancing that day than declining. So when the market opens up and gaps higher, if the AD line is only at like plus 500 and falling that tells you the the gap is probably going to get filled and you probably don't want to be buying right there, chasing the gap higher, vice versa. On the downside, when price opens lower, like it did here, the AD line soars higher, but then fades, you see this gap actually stay weak and close near the lows. But then the next day we open up higher and start fading right off the bat in the first hour, hour and a half. And this market, this, this is the S and P overlaid on the bottom here. This market actually filled the gap and actually closed much lower on the day. Overall, this looks like it was a choppy week in the markets, just looking at this price action. But understanding how you know the advanced decline line is moving within an intraday aspect kind of tells you if a gap is going to probably get filled or not. And whether one of those gaps is sometimes a gap and go that you want to actually continue buying if it does gap up. I'd say another thing I look for in the first half hour is probably one of the best signals to see if there's a trend day developing or it's going to be a choppy trendless day is understanding where the ticks are. So the NYSE tick indicator is just usually going to show you how many stocks are advancing that second versus declining. Like for the first half hour, if all the tick readings are in positive territory, that's usually a a great signal that the institutions are buying that in the first half hour and you probably don't want to fade it just kind of understanding what the potential is for a trend day to exist that's one of my first things i look for in the first 30 minutes of the day and also you could look at volume ratios too because that's literally money going in and out of the markets
0: you know what's so interesting about this is that when i was in the pit we looked at this and then really when i left the pit i i stopped looking at it as much i became really more about my strategy than I did about the actual internals. And it's funny watching you right now showing me this. I'm thinking to myself, I should be looking at this again. And one of the reasons why we looked at this in the pit was because we wanted to see, well, first of all, it was an indicator. We always look at the trend, tick and ticky. Yep. Right. And when we looked at that with the advanced declines, it goes back to exactly what you were saying. I mean, I learned how to trade in a bull market. And when in the late mid to late 90s, And when we used to have those things showing that, then everyone would be like, you know what, look, here we go again. We're grinding back up. And so it was one of those things to keep an eye on to where we didn't want to step in front of a freight train. If those things were showing us the market internals, you know, as you were saying, underneath the hood, what the day really uh, could be representing. And, And that's a great way. It's so funny that we used to look at this. Uh, back then, but it's a great way nowadays to understand what type of a, a potential a day it would be.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times I'll be honest, like I use this stuff to understand if I should be unloading some of my swing trades in the first hour. Cause I generally hold positions from anywhere to, a, you know, a few days to a few weeks, sometimes even a month or more if, if things are trending, but understanding like if, if the market gaps higher on CPI or, or whatever the event might be. And you know, I have a lot of risk on that, you know, I, I don't want to see those profits disappear. On the flip side, like the last couple of days, we've been gapping lower. And I've been trying to gauge that first hour breath to see if if there's a potential for reversal. And, you know, I, I kind of came in long the last couple of days expecting a bounce. Um, and we finally got one today, it looks like the the Monday after options expiration, but um, i i like to see if i should be selling my positions my swing positions right away in that first you know opening half, half hour by looking at breath or if maybe this is going to, gonna to extend higher and, and i should wait till the end of the day because it could be a trending day and you know those positions i have on are gonna work much better if i hold on to them um, and i would never know that without looking at opening hour breath or even like you probably understand from from your floor days is looking at that opening range, right? That first yeah. opening range, whatever time frame you want to take it, is, yeah. is uh, as a day trader or a scalper, especially in the futures pits, you kind of want to understand where that open was. And if the market is auctioning higher above that open, then, you know, that's probably a bullish sign. So, absolutely
0: and it's so yeah. funny you talk about opening range too. You know, I still look at it. I use a three minute opening range. Pax uses a 30 second opening range. He and I talk about this a lot. You know, I do different things with, with, uh, Uh, my time frame versus him. But once again, the opening range, we want to see exactly what you said, what's setting the tone for the day. And it's interesting to me that you like to watch that first half hour, even though you're a swing trader, your time frame is, it's not short term and it's not really long term either, right? That's why it's swing traders, kind of in between. And that first hour still really matters to you. And I'm curious why. I, I know for my reasoning and my trading why it does, but for you, why does that first hour I guess, carry so much
1: weight for you. Well, I tie it back into what I use for a form of analysis, which is just kind of understanding market profile and volume profile. A lot of people use that in different ways, I know, but I just, I like to get a a grasp of what the, the weekly value area is and the daily value area for a shorter term swing trade perspective, but understanding kind of where the daily trend is and even the weekly trend, but understanding how that first half hour of internals are powering the market to go either into value or breaking out outside of value, whether that value area is is uh, narrow or wide or or whatever. A lot of times, I'll I'll mention on Twitter that um, you know the market is reversing here, and you know there's a eighty percent chance that you know prices auction to the opposite side of value, whatever that time frame might be, the daily value area or the weekly, and that's like a, a statistical edge. And I, I'm a numbers guy and and all about probabilities, so when I could get something with greater than 50% confidence in my back pocket, then, you know, I'm going to kind of roll with that. And, you know, on top of that, when I see breath confirming that, that opinion, it's going to be much more confidence for me to, to hang on to a position or even add to it. As we know, like a lot of people, the markets move because other people are on the wrong side of the trade. And, you know, you probably know that from your floor days as well. Like usually the market doesn't stop auctioning in that direction until somebody blows out or, You know you see some kind of a something on the chart or or internals will kind of show you it's unusual once a top or bottom is made and one of the things that we always look for
0: is who's sized up the biggest and you know where's their pressure point because when somebody has to get out they have to go to the market and so that order flow is To me, it's always very important because that's where you're going to find the edges, right, the edges of the market, because a lot of times people's pressure points are where a low or high is going to be made because a big surge of volume comes in and that makes that wick, it makes that high or low type move. And if it can't push through it any further, a lot of times it comes right back into the range.
1: Yeah. And you can kind of tell where a move Tends to reject or fail. Like if exactly. if you're if you're selling off, selling off, and then you go one tick or, or two ticks below an ES low, um, and there's no sellers down there. Well, you better get out of the way because it's going the opposite direction, right? And you don't want to be short. Exactly. Uh, so I I I mean, you only learn that from from being on that that wrong side, though. And you you know, at least I have learned. Yeah, through, same through, with me. I
0: how many times have you and I sold into a two tick new low or bought into a new two tick new high? Because that's where our stop was. The next day, the market's coming back. You're
1: like, that's the high, that's yeah. the low.
0: Here we go, got me out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, it just it, it kind of goes back to you know how volatile the market is too. If the VIX is over twenty, then you know some of these moves can just really snap back in the opposite direction much faster than you even anticipated. So, um, you know, understanding tempo and the speed of a market move and then using internals to kind of confirm that that opinion really helps me and it it definitely kind of you know helps me build a framework for like the next week or even several weeks um because now we're going into what the final 10 days of august and really summertime so um it's it's kind of one of those times of the year where things could get a little bit more volatile if they haven't already started this month but kind of understanding where the cumulative breath is pointed also helps me. So let's talk about mean, that actually. Yeah. Let's
0: talk about the cumulative breath.
1: Yeah. So just kind of cycling through some of these charts that I, yeah. that I use, I guess I'll start out by looking at the, the NYSI, which is uh, just a symbol that tracks the McClellan summation index, which is tracks breath in a ratio adjusted way. So you're kind of understanding how many stocks are powering a trend within an index. And you could see here, like, pretty clean moves. I like to use a eight period moving average on this. Um, and this is just a daily chart going back about a year, um, which, you know, shows some really clean trends the past year that, you know, if you just caught three or four of these, you would be probably outperforming most managers. But uh, most recently at the start of August, we started seeing this tip over here a little bit um, going into uh, the really, I think it was like July 27th it peaked throughout the markets. But now we're kind of falling. So, we're definitely oversold, but any kind of bounce I I would kind of use to lighten up long exposure and probably uh, you know, even entertain some short-side trades from a one to two week basis. Um, but this is one one thing I use and you could see how really back in the March banking crisis, this crossed over before the end of March to the upside. So that told you, okay, there's there's buyers back in control here. You know, the news was talking about a banking crisis until I think the 1st of May even but you know, the market was starting to, to surge higher. So that was one thing that, you know, got me out of shorts back in March. And I actually got into quite a few software names too, as well, but you could even go back to the October lows last year when nobody wanted to be, to be bullish. And I started seeing potential for a, a bottom because I, I like to track seasonality too. And understanding last year was a midterm election year and generally Q3, Q4 sees a, fairly major low in those years going back a hundred years. So kind of understanding back in October, I was starting to track uh, new highs and new lows on a 52 week basis and understanding that there was much less in the way of like new lows happening at that point, because uh, if we go back, I think here. So just looking at a a cumulative uh, chart here of the S and P on the bottom, and then the difference of new highs, new lows. And you can see here back in like June, we kind of saw this big peak uh, to the downside of, of, you know, the differential seeing far more new lows. But back in October, the the, the S&P was making, you know, clearly new lows, but this ratio of new lows to new highs was not that much worse. And if I actually look at the NASDAQ version of this, I know from memory that this was actually giving you a bullish divergence. So back in October you could see a ton of stocks were making you know they they weren't making new lows while the index was actually at new lows so that told me there's there's a cluster of you know tech stocks that want to go higher here there's there's probably something here that tells me not to be bearish and you know judging by seasonality and then starting to see option flows um, accumulate to the bullish side this really made me more bullish from a longer term perspective. It might actually still waffle around for a week or two or a month or two. But, you know, if you're, if you got a six to 12 month time horizon, then this is like, this could be the end of the, the bear market. Um, and, you know, we've had that big outside day reversal candle on October 13th, I think of last year. And that, that was like, wow, if you were trading that day, you kind of remember the price action was just like literally vertical to the upside after that CPI day low made a, a fresh low in the S and P's but just tracking like new highs, new lows, kind of gives me a framework of, on an intermediate term basis, where where the market could turn um, and reverse higher. So I I literally just keep a spreadsheet of this every day. And like, you know, I I didn't update it today yet, but Friday we saw 16 new highs and 92 new lows on the the NYSE, which, you know, this column will show you a differential. And the last week or so we've had, negative differentials, So sellers are in control. That doesn't mean we can't snap back for a week or two, but until this, this differential goes back to positive, which it actually has been for, you know, several months now, then rallies are kind of suspect for me. But even if you, if you go back here and I got some other columns here that show different stats, but kind of seeing the 10-day average and the 30-day average of this metric helps me kind of understand where the bigger picture is going so um, i mean i don't share this too much but i just try to track it on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis but kind of seeing if, if we go back to october you could see this was like blood red and you know then we started seeing a little bit more new highs more new highs and then by december january we started seeing uh, some blue shaded stuff here, which just indicates much more new highs than new lows for me. So this was, I guess, January 9th, the first time I saw a pretty big discrepancy between the new highs and new lows. And that gave me a lot more confidence that, you know, the market wanted to rally and maybe a lot higher. And you could see the NASDAQ has done that this year overall, so.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about the recent pullback that we saw so far in in August. And, sure. and I, as we're recording today, we we finally saw a little bit of a bounce off of the lows. How do you determine if the market's just pulling back, bulls are ultimately still in control, or if the pullback that we've seen so far in August is the start of a much bigger decline?
1: Yeah, so I I would say, you know, just seasonally based, you know, like the volume generally t- tends to come back after Labor Day and that's two weeks away now. So you know, if, if we were to, to make a low in August, I think it would be fairly unusual because. You know, most major corrections tend to end in September, or October, if, if you're going to have like a, you know, a 10% correction. But I also look at this uh, cumulative breath measure. So we talked about the advanced decline ratio on an intraday basis earlier. So each day, this actually, um, will add to this cumulative line and like, for example, today. The market was higher, but the advanced decline ratio, I think, was actually a little negative. So it wasn't the strongest rally from what I'm seeing here um, on the 21st of August, because the advanced decline ratio on a cumulative basis didn't actually rise. So that tells you today was probably a lot of short covering. You probably had that that snapback relief rally after options expiration uh, last week. and. I like to use like a 40 day moving average on this, it, you know, you could use a 50 day, it doesn't matter, but just kind of understanding we're below that level now. So, you know, you, you would really need this to to kind of give you a couple good days of internal breath action to get back above that moving average. It could happen still this week. but I'm waiting for that. Um, but also this, uh, this other indicator, I use the McClellan oscillator, this will just show you how oversold or overbought the market is on a more of a swing trade basis. So we hit the the most oversold level since March last week, which you know I I just have lines here at about minus eighty and plus eighty, and generally the past year when it gets you know below that minus eighty level, it's it's been a pretty good risk reward to get long, looking out a week or two or three. Um, so I I think we get a relief bounce here, but um, you know if if new highs don't start outpacing new lows in a pretty significant consistent way, not just a day or two, but Multi-day uh, moves higher, then you know this this ratio of new highs to new lows on the Nasdaq is going to stay red, and these histograms are going to keep falling. So, as long as that's the case, then I think you probably get maybe a week or two bounce. And I'm a believer that trends tend to persist into big quarterly options expirations. And the the next quad witching expiration is next month for September, and I believe it's actually like the same week as the Fed meeting coming up uh, September twenty. 20- First or something like that. It's really lining up to be super interesting volatility-wise, and and you know potentially the next four weeks could be a little hairy. Um, so you know, using smaller position sizes obviously the best defense against uncertainty when it comes to that. Um, but I I would be looking just you know tracking that new high, new low, um, internal breath to see if the market is really showing some real buying under the hood, um, and understanding like if if the you know. If the Nasdaq is is only being powered by a couple of stocks here and there, like today, Nvidia and Tesla were up what seven plus percent. Um, yeah, software was strong, semis were strong, but if that's just the only two groups, um, you know, for a couple of days, then it's not that impressive. So just kind of understanding who's providing the action and if it's more broad based or not—that's great. Just kind of just tracking, you know, the trend of of breadth on a multi day level. That that helps me. Get more confidence to add positions.
0: Yeah, it gives you that overall big picture understanding of what's happening underneath yeah. the hood. And as you've talked about, staying ahead uh, of potential moves. You mentioned seasonality a few times. How much of a role does it play into your trading?
1: Well, I mean, it plays enough of a role that I, I like to track all the stats from the Trader's Almanac, for example. Um, I actually should write a blog post about it because I do focus on it on a weekly basis. So I, I have a spreadsheet somewhere, but I have like a probability for each day going back, going back the last 20 years of, of the S and P's performance and the NASDAQ and like, you know, generally they're, you know, up or down between 50 and 60%. But if you get something like one week, um, you know, it might be like, I think this week into next week is more positive seasonality on a general basis, but uh, then once September starts, it could get a little more soft. The best way to say it is like, it's it's more like climate and not the weather, right? The, the internals and the trend of price action, that's the weather that you see outside your window. So you're going to go outside and that if it's raining, you're going to take an umbrella, but the climate is more bigger picture. Seasonality kind of spreads out over decades, right? And it's, it's just a statistic. So you don't want to just run outside with an umbrella when it's 90 degrees, just because your seasonality said... You know, there's a sixty percent chance it rains on this day, so it's the same thing in the market. Like, I'll, I'll look at seasonality, but you know, if price action is not confirming that seasonality or the internals are complete opposite, then you know, why take a trade based on seasonality? I think it's just more of like a framework for me.
0: No, yeah, no, I get it. Uh, I, I want to talk about trading options. You have a lot of experience in tracking options for options talk. We all know everybody's an options gamma expert out there now, Jason. We see it every day. There's there's gamma bots, there's all these different things. And let's face it, it could be very tricky for traders to really understand how to use options flow. What are the key elements that you look for um, in options flow to help you with your trading?
1: I've been working with uh, Options Hawk for the last couple of years now. And I, I can honestly say my understanding of Greeks and how options flows impact different stocks and markets has kind of grown exponentially, um, and there are there's a lot of people out there talking about gamma that uh, probably don't understand what it means. But uh, I I think I learned more more specifically during 2020 during the pandemic of what gamma is and how it could literally move a market for uh, you know weeks and weeks you know into specific dates. So. Um, I, I think that like the, the biggest thing we track at option stock is repeat flow and unusual flow. So if you're seeing, you know, we all know the stocks that see billions of dollars of notional trade every day through options like Tesla and, and NVIDIA. But if you start seeing like an unusual biotech that normally sees like, you know, a hundred options trade per day, and then somebody hits it with 10,000, that's going to be way more unusual than seeing, you know, Tesla with a 10,000 lot of options trade. So it's all it's based on like what the sector is, what the stock is, and understanding how aggressive the buyer or seller is. Um, and that's that's stuff we track at Options Hawk on a daily basis, kind of seeing how implied volatility moves with a with a trade. And we could see right on our screens like, okay, this this buyer, this buyer of calls came in um, and, and hit the offer aggressively. And that moved the implied volatility by two or three points um and you know this this is pretty significant because because usually if if you're trying to buy something you'll be a little bit more you know sneaky about it maybe trying to get a, a good price but if you're just hitting the, the ask uh and moving the implied volatility of the options chain then that shows real you know real uh, interest and aggression and that's something to to kind of note and if, if you see that on a repeat basis throughout the day and throughout that week um, that's even more significant because there's something on a multi-day basis, that this buyer is probably targeting, whether it's a, a conference or an earnings event or even an analyst day. A lot of times, people will always talk about earnings, but you know, analyst days or investor days are often, you know, great trading opportunities or even just to understand when to get out of a trade. Um, if you're long a specific stock, and you know it's it's running higher into its earnings day or its investor day, um, and then you see options flow start. You know, showing you the opposite um, position, like big boys might be positioning for a reversal or getting out of their position. Um, I think last week we saw um, several positions close in 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 big trades that have been open the last several weeks or months. So that that's sometimes even a bigger signal when a closing trade comes in and you see, OK, um, you know, this big buyer that's been sitting here for two months in this in this stock that's gone higher. They're they're leaving the party now, so maybe you should consider doing the same thing. And I would add, like I, I experienced that a couple times in some biotech stocks this year. Like I'm not a biotech expert, but I've kind of learned to uh, trust the options flow around biotech stocks because the people that trade them know a lot more than me about biotech stocks. So a lot of times when I see you know, a closing trade in a biotech stock that's going to tell me to get out of of that trade um, that same day, even if it didn't hit my target, because, you know, targets can be very elusive and make you kind of like complacent, right? If you have a target that's still 5% away or something, you don't want to just wait and wait until the target gets hit because there's no guarantee it gets hit. What's the biggest mistake you see new traders make when trading options? Thinking back to when I started, I wanted to turn... X amount of dollars into two X, like right away, like trying to double your money is kind of like this popular thing people, you know, throw up on YouTube or Twitter, whatever you call it these days, X, I'm still going to call it Twitter. But, um, you know, it's like, try to build up base hits. And really, it depends on your account size, too. So I'd say, like, if if you're starting with, you know, 10,000 or less as an account size, you really don't want to have many positions on at, at any one time, because if you have more than a couple positions on, then it's going to really, like eventually the market's going to have a big gap down day or something. And if you have five, six, seven positions that are, you know, in that same direction, then you're going to, you might be down 25% on your account in one day. So I I'd say like the biggest thing is position sizing and kind of understanding, like if you're buying options, just, buy yourself a little bit more time as well um to help with the move playing out because a lot of times you might be right on a move trend wise but you you bought the option that expires in three or four weeks or you know even even understanding which strike to buy or or using spreads i use a lot of spreads in my trading and that kind of allows me to stick with the trade longer so if my timing isn't perfect which it rarely is then you know having a spread on kind of takes away from that uh, bite from implied volatility or a theta decay when it comes to an option trade. Um, it allows me to kind of sit tight and, and hold it a little longer and wait for that move to, you know, materialize. So I'd say understanding your position sizing will help you hold a trade longer and then understanding which expiration or strike price to to buy or sell. Give us an example of a spread maybe that you recently
0: traded that your timing wasn't perfect like you talked about and you wanted to be in the market. And so you decided to put on the spread.
1: Um, okay. So <laughs> I just as early as like this past week, I was kind of buying another dip in NVIDIA and I bought some call spreads because I, I I was anticipating the stock to go higher into its earnings this week. I think it's Wednesday after the market. So generally some of these crazy stocks like NVIDIA that had outsized moves the prior quarter, will will see a lot of hot money or you know people that missed that move they want to get in before the next earnings announcement so they'll they'll run it up or at least try to and you'll see momentum um at least for several days or even the the two weeks prior to earnings is kind of what i target um so i kind of i think last week i got into some nvidia call spreads in september and then the market obviously had a, a nasty week last week so um you know, I was underwater by maybe 30% or something, but these, these call spreads really held their premium really well because even though they were slightly out of the money, like earnings are due this week. So you're not going to see any kind of big move down in implied volatility until after the event passes. So I was able, because, you know, first off, I had a smaller position size. I'm playing in August where I know the market is kind of hairy right now. So I I was risking maybe 1% of my account and and that's kind of an, an average position for me. So um I was able to hold it through through last week and into the weekend. And then this morning when NVIDIA gapped higher into like 450, I think I took it off for like a small winner. So I didn't time it well at all. And you know, I probably should have held it till the end of today because it actually closed even higher. But just understanding like position size was small enough that I didn't sweat it and I had spreads on. So any kind of like implied volatility change. Was, was not gonna hurt me too much on the long side of the spread. So um, I, yeah, I, I would say just give yourself time and understand your position size. If if you're looking at a five minute chart all day long, uh, when you're down on a trade, that tells you your position size is probably too big on a swing trade, I mean. Quickly explain a call spread. Yeah, so I mean, it's basically just buying one call strike and selling another. So let's say Nvidia's at 450, you buy a 450 call, and you could sell a 460 call. That's kind of like a 10 point wide spread. And you know the reason you might do that is because the 450 calls might be like, you know, in September they might be 30 bucks or, or more. Um, and then the, the the 460 call is just gonna you know lower your cost of entry. So you could buy a 10 point wide a 10 point wide spread at the money for maybe three bucks, 350. And you know if it if it goes higher, you you know, you paid a lot less to to make that same potential reward. But again, you could hold on to it longer because you're not going to be impacted as much from Theta Decay because each strike is going to, you know, see that Theta Decay burn off. So you're not going to be, you know, losing a ton of money each day waiting for the move to happen. But also, um, you know, you're you're putting up less money. But uh, yeah, you could you could obviously choose your strikes too so make them wider than 10 points if you choose got it what is your favorite risk
0: management strategy when it comes to hedging or trading an uncertain market like you think right now we kind of have
1: um yeah so i mean really i i would just go back to position sizing because if if you're not being able to sleep at night with your positions then they're too big um and and once implied volatility goes higher and by that i just mean the vix Looking at the VIX, if, if you look at a VIX at 16, that's uh, generally just estimating that the S&P should make 1% moves each day uh, from high to low. And I, I think the greatest thing I I try to focus on is if if the market is in a downtrend, like we were just you know showing with market breadth and you know overall weak internals with with new 52-week highs kind of lagging right now is just have less positions but if you're going to have a few positions that are counter trend maybe consider a hedge in the indexes so if i'm long some growth stocks like nvidia or tesla um, you know adding a few puts in arc on a on a rebound is a good idea or the qqqs um, which are much more liquid than arc is probably a better choice and you know a lot of people might want to just buy straight up puts but sometimes understanding how options skew looks. And generally uh, index put options have a lot of skew, which means uh, the out of the money options on the put side are much more expensive than on the call side, because, you know, we know markets go down faster than they rise generally. So uh, puts are going to be valued at a higher level. Uh, So using spreads when you're buying puts, that's what I'm trying to get at is is always a good idea to avoid uh, any kind of like IV collapse, or uh, even I like to use butterflies more like on the SPX. Um, if you're more short term, SPX is a higher price product. It's 10 times the size of SPY, but it's also cash settled. So it's kind of nice. You don't really have to close it out at the end of the day or at the end of the week. Um, but using vertical spreads, buying one strike, selling another, that's always great. And then butterflies, I think, are a good hedging strategy more on a weekly basis going into events like CPI or a Fed meeting. How much experience do you have with options on futures?
0: Because I've learned, I've been a futures trader for 25 years and I've just actually, as of late, I've been trading a lot more options on futures and I have found that the cost efficiencies are so much better when I wanna trade the indexes versus the SPX or the SPY. You know, we have the e-mini S&P, you have the micros. I think there's even a little bit in terms of uh, contract sizes. Finds the middle, uh, almost between the SPY, the ES is kind of the middle of that, and the SPX, and then you have the micros, which is even really smaller, and I think a great product for a lot of new traders. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about the micro e-mini options out there, but you know I've been practicing using those, and it's you know pretty inexpensive. <laughs> and yeah. you can try out a lot of
1: strategies uh, if you're tra- if trading indexes. You're talking about the MES contract? Yes. Yeah, I've actually dabbled with that. I, I don't talk about it much, but I I... Yeah, I know it's one tenth the size of the regular ES, which yep. you know makes it kind of affordable for anybody because I think it's five dollars it. per point, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, exactly. So I'll you know, a lot of times, not not lately, the last month or so, but a lot of times throughout this year, if if the mark if the market is getting a little more volatile, I'll trade those more on a uh, intraday basis. And if if like let's say the market gaps higher um, and I'm long um, and I don't want to really take off all my swing positions because I think maybe in the next week we might be higher, but intraday, I think we might fade, then yeah, I'll sh- I'll sh- I'm going to short some MES futures and, you know, try to, you know, take, you know, whatever I can out of those, um, as like an intraday hedge, but, uh, I've, I've played around with the options in those. They're not the most liquid. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping they get more liquid, the MES, uh, options on futures, but, It seems like they trade between the the mid-price quite often if you just put in a limit order. You can get filled right in the middle, but I mean, they're they're newer products. And,
0: you know, once again, if they get a little wide, all you do is you go up to the ES. And that's where I think you find the balance. I mean, because you got MES, you got SPY, you got ES, and you got SPX, and they're all different (laughs) values. Like the ES has been around for a lot longer than the MES, but it is new and up and coming, and I've seen it. I've seen more and more people grow into the product.
1: And it's nice. It's 24 five, right? Because you can exactly. trade them on right. Sunday. I I do remember during the bear market last year, I, I, there was a lot of Sunday nights where I, I wanted to see where the market opened because we were yeah. having huge gaps. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would put on a few MES contracts on a Sunday night just to kind of hedge what I had on over the weekend. And exactly. like if, you know, if, if the market gapped down big and, and I bought puts on the SPY, I can't get out of those until Monday morning. So what am I gonna do all Sunday night? Well, I could lock in my gain by buying some MES uh, because whether it's an option or a future, you know, let's, let's say, you know, we gap down three, four, 5%, like we did a few times during the bear market. Well, I mean, I could lock in my put profits on the SPY by taking the notional value of the MES, which is, pretty equivalent to one spy put put option because it's one tenth of the SPX and one tenth of the ES. So, you know, I could I could dollar for dollar kind of strategize that out. So if I if I'm thinking I'm up a hundred percent on my spy puts, I could buy a few MES, you know, futures contracts to lock that in and, you know, wait for Monday morning type of thing. So it's kind of a You know, a back of the envelope way of using a different product that tracks the same index. Exactly. No,
0: no doubt. I'm glad that we talked about that because I think it's those products um, really are starting to get more and more legs. And I'll be talking about them a lot more here on Futures Radio Show. Um, Last question before I let you go today is really, I want to talk about Options Hawk. Show us maybe something on Options Hawk's site that. You know, traders can go and what we talked about today, Jason. Stay ahead of the next market move. Let's take a look at what you guys are offering at Options Talk. Give us a little bit of an inside look uh, of what's going on with you guys.
1: Sure. So, I mean, we basically come up with a lot of research strategies and idea generation, and kind of leave it up to um, traders to to select which which ideas they're interested in trading or or um, taking from us, but. We'll, we'll track options flows all day long um, in, in our chat room, the Trading Hub and me and Joe, uh, Options Hawk, will come up with daily reports morning and afternoon to kind of recap the biggest ideas of the day in the options market. And then the next morning kind of like a rundown of what happened overnight in the financial markets. Um, and you, know, you, you kind of get a weekly radar report as well each week on Sundays that show up in your inbox, usually by noon. And it's just it's definitely more of like a, a swing trade focused uh, newsletter. So you don't have to be, you know, a full time trader to, to take advantage of that idea. Um, and then really, we focus a lot of uh, a lot of attention on uh, stocks reporting earnings. So like this week, we have Nvidia, I think we have Snowflake and Marvel, some other tech companies reporting in the software space. So Um, Earning snapshots are a big part of what Options Hawk will do and uh, you can see like right here this week we have trade ideas for Nvidia, Snow and Marvell technology for members that um, are interested in taking those and they're generally just, um, you know, spread trade ideas that take advantage of uh, implied volatility collapsing, but also in a directional sense if we have a, a good opinion on where that stock could move directionally after earnings. Um, Or if we think it might be neutral, then it might be more of a iron condor candidate or a strangle type of play. So um, just a ton of idea generation and and research analysis based on what the markets are actually doing that day and that week. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm so glad I had a chance to get to know
0: you better, understand your style, talk about market breadth, you know, and staying ahead of of the next trade Uh, and really Brought back some memories to me, Jason, about things I used to look at. And now I think you've got my interest peaked a little bit to go back and look at some of these things.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. I I probably should, you know, trust some of these metrics a little bit more. Cause sometimes when I stray away from them and and think, you know, maybe the market has something in it short term that that breath isn't confirming, then that's when I get into trouble. But just, just trusting this stuff and and knowing that more than 50% of the time, breath is gonna keep you on the right track. It, it's just gonna keep the, the stress away when you're in a bad trade and you're wondering why you're in it, because we've all been there. But um, yeah, yeah the, the best way to avoid that is just to track like track the the numbers on the screen and, and trust the trend of, of breadth and internals. And then if you could back it up with price action and seasonality and even sentiment, we didn't even talk about that. But if everybody's on the same side of the bus, then, you know, you probably want to go to the other side, right? Yeah, uh, well, we will have to talk about sentiment more next
0: time. And I'm so glad you brought up. Uh, we talked about how the different ways to trade, all the different options products when you're getting into the indexes. And I just, you know, want to mention too. Like for me, I've been trading them uh, on TradeStation. It's really cool. You could be able to do, you do that on Futures Plus. Um, and so uh, I'm learning more about options, Jason. I'm trying to get better. Uh, and thanks to you guys. Um, and people like you helping me. its It's been great to have a conversation with you. And, and I, I look forward to doing this again
1: with you, my friend. Yeah, definitely. We got to do something a little bit more uh, uh, options on futures based because I, I want to learn more about those to, to kind of take advantage of those commodity moves because those can really trend once they get going.
0: Well, then you and I are going to have to get that on the schedule because I'm going to be getting better at options on futures. And I know once I get uh, some insight from you guys at Options Hawk, and how to potentially put uh, some of that in play for me, that's going to be awesome. So once again, buddy, thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate your time, my friend.
1: Yeah, likewise. Thanks again for the invite. Had a good time.
0: Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.